Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. Today, I'm super excited for our guest. She is a fractional CMO at Glimpse, award-winning keynote speaker, workshop coach, B2B marketing consultant, also a podcaster, and at least three times author. And I just learned a lighting expert in the background. (laughs) Everybody welcome Pam Didner. (laughs) Hey, hi everyone. So happy to be part of your podcast. And by the way, I love that your apartment life living in Miami. Oh my God. 30, what? 33rd floor? Yeah, exactly. Looking up. Very high up here. I love the background. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We live amongst the birds up here. It's funny. We might hear a little fire alarms. I was just telling Pam. So that's the downside of apartment living. And I have had to walk down all 30 plus flights for a oh fire alarm before with Seriously? a baby. So that oh, was fun. No, I don't know if I can deal with that. But you know what? Walking down is better than walking up. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So yeah, yes. I, I, I can that see is it. a good point. Get the, the, the bright side. Yeah, by then the the elevators are working again and we can take that back up. Thank you. So. <laughs> True. Yeah, but thank you so much, Pam, for joining us today. I'm so excited. And I, I always start off the show just hearing about your career path. So if you could sure. tell us how you got into the world of B2B marketing up until where you are today. Exactly. So when I was growing up, I really want to be a B2B marketer. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. I didn't know what that was. But anyway, it was a twist of fate. And I was actually accountant. I'm serious. I majored wow. in accounting and I was, I was doing accounting actually for a little while. So from accountant actually to a marketing, it was really kind of like a twist of fate. I didn't actually see myself as a marketer. Look at me. I mean, just look at the way I dress. I'm a pretty boring person, honestly. <laughs> I definitely so- disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short is I was with a, a very big company called Intel. And way back then, it, I, the company actually encouraged people to move around their employees to be well-rounded. And I think it's less sold in many corporations now than it was before. And I was very lucky to actually join the company at that time when they encouraged that. And so I moved from like a finance and accounting to project management to actually operations. I'm very good at operations. And eventually moving to supply chain management. Trust me, I was on the manufacturing floor sorting parts. I did that. Wow. <laughs> like wow. this part is good. That part was not good. Anyway, and uh, one of my managers actually moved into event marketing, and uh, that was not his forte either. But somehow he got hired to do that, and then he took me with him. So what is the moral of the story? You know what? If you have good managers, follow along. All right. Yeah. So I started on the operations in the marketing side, eventually moving to event marketing and then somehow moving to a strategy. So love that you got into marketing through this amazing windy path. Yes. Accounting, finance, ops, manufacturing, part sorting. 
I love that. Well, two things I want to say. One, it's such a good point you made of finding your, it's almost like your advocates and your, your guide in your managers and who you can cling to and learn so much from and kind of follow their lead, right? You know, Jane, I agree with you. I actually haven't updated my resume for 10, 15 years. And that has a lot to do with when my managers, and I worked with a lot of managers in the past, when they move around and somehow they thought of me. And even though I did not have experience or expertise for that specific field, but they also know I can learn and I can run pretty fast. So I was able to find a different jobs just because of that. So that was very helpful. And uh, I think the ability to learn, the ability to grasp. Amazing. So I love that. And then second, I'm curious, what got your attention with marketing? Like, how did you know that that was your zone where you really wanted to dive in in your career? That was actually a great question. I thought about it long and hard. I was like, why do I want to stay in the marketing field? Because after I left Intel, with my experience cross-board, I can do operations, I can do COO's job, I can even do product development, project management type of role. The thing about marketing is it was very squishy. It's like what works for one company may not work for the other company. And uh, even though we all use the same channels, we all use email marketing, you know, we all use social media posts, we all use this and that. But that doesn't mean that what other people are using or doing can actually apply to us. You have to think about it in terms of what actually works for us. And so I like that part of it. It's kind of like a little squishy. You know, it's not going to work very well. And then somehow you have to make it better. Hashtag drama. (laughs) (laughs) So you like drama. I love that word though. I've never heard marketing described as squishy. And I think I love it because it's perfect. You're right. It is moldable, right? And everything is so different depending where you are in different circumstances. And there's layers of differences at each company. So, so interesting. And one thing I have a, a million more questions to go into, but one thing you brought up before we turn the mics on is impact. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to dive in there is I was just at the GT Pavilions event, GTM 2023, and a yep. common theme throughout almost all of the sessions was impact. So making yep. sure you're delivering value, get identifying that point of impact with your customers, mm-hmm. even internal impact, personal impact, just everywhere. So I'm curious what you think of with this word and what it means to you. So impact in a business sense is what do you do to influence? Okay. It can be influenced the revenue and it can be influenced others so they can make a more prudent decisions. It can also means that uh, you create impact by doing your job better. That means the, the business impact can be directly see on what are you being improving and doing things a little bit differently. So impact does mean different things to in a different circumstances, like you said, and also different people. And the way I kind of see impact is there's a tangible impact and there's intangible impact, right? And in a way, it's basically what is your value add to the company? And there's a tangible one and there's intangible one. The intangible one is basically your knowledge, your expertise, you as an asset, that you offer to the company. 
Like for example, Jane, you are subject matter expert for us, the product line that we are selling and you come to me and say, hey, we have this new product. How should we go to market? I need to have a point of view. And I said, okay, based on this product, this is what I think we should do, right? So when you said that, you are providing your expertise and that's intangible. You cannot touch it. It's just basically what I said. If I'm bullshitting you, you just have to believe me. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so that's intangible. The tangible is on the marketing side is what you do. If you run a campaign, does that have some sort of business impact in terms of bringing the revenue? If it's legion, did you bring a much, say, higher quality leads that will convert easily? Or if you run the campaigns on the thought leadership, does that broaden the leadership presence of your company? So that is based on the marketing efforts that you run. And that's something that is a little bit more tangible. So as the impact, you as a marketer for the UL company, you have to think about it. What is the intangible impact that you can bring on the table? And what's the tangible impact, which is what the campaigns that you are running, how can you do it and make it better? Yeah. So basically what the insight you bring and the knowledge and your past expertise and experience intangible and tangible is what you actually deliver, right? Like the actual value you provide. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I love that. How do you propose that we as marketers keep this in mind and make sure we're delivering on both fronts? And do we have to deliver on both intangible and tangible? We do. Unfortunately, in most of the time, like the answer you're going to hear from me in many instances is, is going to be, oh, well, you know what? It depends. But in this specific... Always that asterisk, right? Yeah, it's like, it depends. <laughs> all right. And uh, but in this specific instance, I say yes. And almost like absolutely positively 100% yes. As if I'm like saying like, oh, yes, I'm going to marry you, Jane. No, no, no. That's what I'm trying to say. But I'm not. That's not what I'm trying to say. But yes, you have to show both. And uh, showing expertise build your credibility. Do your job right or even more. It show that, you know what? You are competent. So these are, they come like together side by side. It cannot be separated. Is that helpful? Yes, for sure. I wonder how can we think about as we build out our our plans and our strategy at a company, I think we are always thinking about the results, right? I think we have to be performance-minded, especially this year more than ever, it seems, what we're delivering and results. But how about that intangible? Imposter syndrome kind of comes to mind, right? Of thinking we're not delivering on that side. So how do we ensure we are focusing on both? I think it's very important. So to focus on both can be driven on two tangible things, honestly. Okay. Number one is a lot of your campaigns or a lot of your work has a deadline. Okay. So a deadline driven campaign, so deadline driven deliverables will force you to actually think in terms of the things you need to do and the outcome of those campaigns or deliverables will show if you make impact or not. That's number one, right? The intangible Mm -hmm. impact has a lot to do with, you know what? Your annual performance review is coming up. (laughs) Somehow with that, that's tangible, but you need to document what intangible of the expertise, your communication skills, your leadership skills. How do you use all that skill set to actually move a lot of stuff forward? And uh, you need to kind of showcase that as a part of your performance review. 
So yes, these deliverable-driven type of marketing effort plus your annual uh, performance review will actually bring the best of a tangible and the intangible. So interesting. And this makes me think back to, I, I saw that you presented at Marketing Profs B2B Forum. I did. Um, and I believe at least one of the topics, because you had a, a workshop and I believe a session too, FOMO, yeah. I wish I was there, but it was all about proving marketing ROI. So yes. this kind of goes hand in hand, right? Hand Showing hand. that impact. Exactly. Where do we begin with making sure we're keeping that top of mind and demonstrating marketing ROI from the get-go? Yeah. So the title is called Marketing, Demonstrate Marketing ROI. And I talk about the tangible and intangible aspect of it as a part of the presentation. And at the end of the presentation, I said, you know, my title or the session title is How to Demonstrate Marketing ROI. Honestly, that's not the question at all. The question or the answer to that question, first of all, that question is a wrong question. I told everybody that. How to demonstrate marketing ROI is a wrong question to ask. It's the question is how to demonstrate marketing ROI in the context of revenue. That's the right question to ask. So mm. if you actually scope it, how to demonstrate marketing ROI in the context of a sales revenue, all of a sudden the answer is very clear. It's a marketing's contribution to sales. Yeah. Right. So that's a tangible part. Now you have to make it happen to bring your marketing effort down to the bottom of the funnel to be able to show that. And that's the hardest part. Right. So how do you make that? The back end needs to be integrated. What are you doing in the top of the funnel using marketing automation tool? You need to take it down to a CIM. So what am I trying to say? You need to know CIM as a marketer. There's no showing that. You have to. Do you think that today marketers are focused on the wrong aspect of ROI? So focusing on too many top of funnel metrics like MQLs and leads coming in versus contributions to MRR? That's a great question. And I'm not going to fault. This is a philosophical debate, by the way. And I'm just going to take a little bit of time to explain it. And uh, yeah, so I'm not going to fault like anybody who tracking top of the, the funnel metrics. There was nothing wrong with that as long as your management agree. If you are tracking that and your management not necessarily in agreement or they look down on that, that's an issue. You see where yes. I'm coming from? That one, mm -hmm. right? All about number alignment. Two, number two is you can track top of the funnel. Let's assume you track MQL. You only track MQL. Honestly, if all your job is doing MQL and that's your job and you're being assigned to do that job, that is fine too. But there's another metrics that you should track in addition to that is the conversion rate from MQL to SQL. That's assume you bring 4,000 MQL this year, you bring 4,500 next year. Well, that's great. Or you bring 4,000 this year, you bring 4,000 next year. That's also great. But it doesn't show impact unless you show percentage of a conversion. Do you see where I'm coming from? So if the conversion from 4,000 to say 3,500, that's a percentage point. But if you take 4,000 and that's the next year's conversion is actually say 4,000, all of a sudden that's 100%. Right. So the impact doesn't come from the number. 
of the MQL, it comes from the percentage point that you are driving. You see the impact going up. That's why you need to measure the percentage of a conversion, right? So you have to think about it. You can do top of the funnel. That's no issue. Yeah. Girls, you can do that. But what is that betting rate, right? Is that rate going up? If that going up year after year, even though you stay at a 4,000 leads, but your conversion rate is going up and up and up, that means the quality is going up. Nobody can fault that. You can still mm -hmm. focus on top of the funnel. Is that helpful? Yes, that makes so much sense. You need so to think a little sense. bit so differently, everyone. You need to think a little bit differently in terms of how you measure your top of the funnel. Yeah, and I talk it seems about like, that in my session. It seems like we need to expand what we're focusing on. So if we're we're looking at MQLs to go, keep with this example, okay, you're measuring MQLs month over month, quarter after quarter, year, year over year, but how is that changing and improving? And let's say it's even going down. If you're seeing MQLs from 4,000 to 3,000. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then you see the MQLs. Yeah. If it's going down, then you're like, you know what? Whatever was working in the past is probably not working now. Therefore, yeah. we need to do something a little bit different. Yep. Would you consider that as a point of potential impact that is not being made or lack of impact? So you need to change something so you can then make that impact? Mm -hmm. You hear the chord? Mm. Okay. Let's say in this example, it goes from 4,000 MQLs to 3,000 MQLs, but your SQLs are going up. So yeah. the quality is improving, but the, the overall net is shrinking, which kind of is happening right now in this year, right? Right. But so, if the quality so is improving. Yeah. Yes. So that's the issue that everybody encounter right now, because all of us are getting so sophisticated. I mean, that means all of us as a B2B marketers and our customers are sophisticated too. Like when you send an email and when you do email marketing campaigns right now, I'm telling you across the board for my clients, the, the opening rate is down, <laughs> the click-through rate is down. And uh, it's just because everybody, first of all, they are overwhelmed by all the information they receive on a regular basis. And second thing is they are jaded and cynical. And the third is they don't care, right? So now you have to, before, you only have to deal that they are overwhelming with the number of, the, say, the frequency of email or the number of email they receive. Now you have to deal with, you know, this, they don't care. So how are you going to deal with that? That means your, the way that you strategize your marketing needs to be a little bit different. And then, then all of a sudden, the, what comes to play is quality versus quantity. And uh, do you need to send out that many email? That is a discussion, right? This is my offer needs to be stronger. That's a discussion. So for the email marketing, should I do very hyper personalized email outreach instead? That's a discussion, right? So you have to think about the impact that you're going to make. You need to make some changes. That's what I'm trying to say, right? And that including me as well. I'm an independent consultant, right? In the past, I can get a job pretty easily. This year, yeah. because I'm in the tech segment and the layoff is massive bloodbath impact my business. Yeah. So, and all my past clients, like some of them, they have not even found jobs yet, yeah. right? So first of all, how can I help them? So number one, they be my clients, yeah. how can I help them, right? And the second thing is, okay, 
So how do I change my outreach? That's a little bit different than what I have done before. In the past, I counting on referrals. I have many, many referrals. Now I was like, no, I probably need to do my marketing outreach a little bit differently. Right, so yeah, I mean that's so interesting. I'm wondering, you're right with email. We're seeing that across the board, open rates and click rates have gone down. Oh, it's going down, down. It's going down, 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 down. And everybody was like, why? Yeah. What should I do? I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe we should stop for a second. <laughs> Let's think about it. Hmm, why are they not opening my email? What other reason? Mm -hmm. How can I do things yeah. differently? That's why you need to think. Do you have any example of what somebody has done in that situation? It could be anecdotal or, or in general, what you're seeing, just the emails are going down. They pause to think, what's something that we can test to, to change that? So one thing I did ask my clients to do at this time is I told them to pause. And I said, mm -hmm. let's just pause. I mean, you are sending email and nobody is reading it and they are tired of it and your unsubscribe rate is going up the roof, then just stop. Let's just stop yeah. for a second. And then uh, one thing that we did a little bit differently is we go back to the basic. When I say go back to a basic is we look at their CIM. Like I said, this has come back to my point. Marketers, he's saying this to you. You have to know CIM. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we went back to the CIM. We look at their contacts and we look at their companies, you know, it's a company and the, and the contacts. And we had a conversation with sales and we said, hey, look, our email marketing is not working. <laughs> MQL is down. Ah. So mm -hmm. are there accounts that you've been talking to? It's in our database and you have conversation, but it did not make any traction. Okay. Nothing. Nothing happened. The, the deal was stalled, blah, blah, blah. So can we identify those accounts and those people? And can we run something called win back campaigns? So the, the campaign is not even a campaign. We're just going to run an email very targeted for these, what I call a store accounts or the dormant accounts. And then basically said, we're going to just for this month, we're going to run the email just to these accounts. That's it. That's the only thing we're gonna do on the email side, done. Okay, so we did that. We actually got, we only sent the email to about 200 accounts and that's wow. probably about 400 people less. And we got five replies and we were happy. <laughs> Yeah. And you have to understand, when people, it's not opening rate, I'm not tracking opening rates, and I'm not tracking click-through rate, whatever. We basically, at the end, it's an email, and they send out and say, hi, if you're still interested, please reply to this email. So, mm -hmm. five replies. Do you know how happy we were? Tears. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we got five replies, and at least... To me, that's very high quality. If somebody reply and say, yeah, you know what? I, I talked to you before, I, let, I would like to have a conversation. When somebody say, I want to have a conversation, that's a hope for yes. sales. So then it's up to sales to close that. We only got five. Yeah. It was bad, yeah. but five. I'm happy for it. I take that anytime. Yeah, five is solid out of just 200. 200, yeah, no, out of 400 people, 200 accounts, we only got five. Yeah. So that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, in today's economy, plus that's it's five hand raisers, not just yeah. Thank five you, James. <laughs> five hand raisers. I love yes. that. I always love that turn. 
I love yes. that. There's a couple like, turns on sales guys I love. I was like hand raisers. The other one is big yeah. whales. You know what I'm saying? We're yeah. going gonna, gonna to get some big whales. I was like, yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, so true. Whale hunting. Yeah. I wonder how did you, because one thing you mentioned, and I totally agree with, everyone's kind of overwhelmed in their inbox, right? And yep. a lot of people turn to let's email more, right? As the answer, no, which absolutely not contributes yeah, to the problem of the the busy inbox. How did you stand out when your your goal is really to reengage and get a conversation? How did you stand out with these two hundred accounts, four hundred people? Copy the title, mm. subject line, and the copy, and um, we spent so much time vetting the copy and uh, try the different subject line. We tested with uh, several salespeople and also a couple, you know, we just, we run a couple testing and just make sure that subject line and also the copy. And we made the copy short. It was not even a long copy. Uh, and we spent a lot of time. The shorter you go, the harder it is to write, honestly, because you have to think every single word and yes. every single word matters. We wrote a very intentionally short copy and then uh, we tested the subject line. And we did not attach anything at all, nothing. It's just more or less a very personal email, personable email, and uh, yeah. with uh, a strong call to action reply. But I'm pretty sure a lot of people probably didn't see that either. But another thing I want to share with you and everybody else is marketing nowadays, get me out. It's calculated bet. You're placing bet yeah. on the table. Yeah. You are placing bet and you're going to lose many yeah. times, but it's, it's a bet. That's why you need to tell your manager. Marketing is all about placing bets and you are placing the bets and hope that you're going to bend odds to your favor, right? Yeah. Based on the probability that you think it's going to win. Yeah. Right. So marketing is placing bets. Yes, that's so true. It does feel like everything we do is kind of gambling and it's like science experiments at the same time too, right? Yeah, Where you yeah. used to have some some budget carved out for experiments and now it feels like everything. Well, everything is, experiment. is experiment. So it was so funny and try to make this fun, try to make this email fun. In addition to like, we only focus on very targeted and we, we were betting with our salespeople. Okay, I'm not encouraging betting and gambling. Please, everybody don't take this in. <laughs> Disclaimer. Disclaimer. I'm not, all right? I'm not saying that you have to. It was just a very fun, high, lighthearted, and I was like talking to sales. I was like, how many replies do you think you're going to get? Do you think we're going to get? And then the two salespeople was like, I don't know. Three, two. I don't talk to them. No traction whatsoever. I say two. And then the other guy says, I say, you know what? We're just going to put $5 on the table. And they were like, no, we should do this in the betting world is overall under. We pick a number. And then somebody will say, we go over that. We go under that. I was like, really? That's how his betting is done? Didn't know. Okay. I learned something. So <laughs> then, then all of a sudden we build that bonding relationship with, with salespeople. So, yeah. and, um, that was kind of fun. But like I said, I want to make it very clear, everybody. I'm not encouraged gambling. That's not the intention. <laughs> please, please don't take it in the wrong way. You're encouraging fun. Yes, exactly. And also building that relationship. Yes, that's so important. So thank you for the specific example. I think that's super helpful. So people can kind of take away and think about what can I test and change and focus in on and on the email side, for example, yeah. or when do I, what do I need to pause on to really reevaluate and test out a new strategy? Cause it's just not working. Another key thing I want to share with everybody is if things are not working, just stop. 
and take time to think. We don't do that anymore. How many times we do like, oh, social media, oh, I mean, oh, text, you know, oh my God, email. We are so distracted nowadays. Yes. We don't have time to think. And I strongly yes. encourage everyone during my workshop and my session, when things are not working, just pause and take some time to think. Okay. Yeah. It's funny because I think this, uh, the paid media world is where I struggle with this piece, right? Because you have to give it time to learn, which I feel like is just propaganda from the media giants to no, begin with. But it is not. <laughs> it is. It's on the paid media side. Paid media is a beast of its own. Yes. You know, I almost have jack of all trade for a lot of things, marketing, B2B marketing related. And uh, I don't do social media marketing. Well, I, I don't do that for my clients. I do that for myself. And I don't do paid media. The reason is, like I said, paid media is kind of a beast of its own. And every single paid totally. media it's, can be done differently. And there's certain nuggets you can learn from it. And uh, the knowledge is massive and or the best practice that you have to do a day in and day out to actually know. And so that's something that if I ever try to do paid media, I usually find experts that can do that. But I do agree, you know, okay. like sometimes like Jane, you know, one person or two person marketing team that they have to run paid media themselves. They go for it. Definitely. The more you learn, the better off you are. But uh, if you have a little bit more budget, hire someone to actually do that for you. It's probably, you get your the money of return a little bit faster. Assume that person uh, did a good job, you know? Agreed. I think paid media is definitely somewhere where you need an expert. Myself, I know enough to look and question <laughs> um, the expert, but if I were to run, it's just not, it's not the fastest way to achieve results. Agreed. Yep. Mm -hmm. It just, it makes me think we don't, we won't have to stick on paid media for a bit, but it's, that's the one area where pausing to reevaluate has me questioning when the right timing is, right? How much time do you give before you stop something and shift or pivot? So I have the answer for that. Yes. You have to look into your purchase cycle. Okay. So if the purchase, like you have to look at like when people like come to your funnel and then did make a purchase, how long is that, right? For a SaaS-based platform, you might have a different timeline because you have a different business model from pre premium down to the enterprise level. But you can gauge in terms of what is the, the purchasing cycle. Is it three months, is it six months, is it three to six months, or is it 12 to 18 months? So when you run a pay media, yeah. your pay media timeline, working or not working, should be based on your purchase cycle at least for a little bit. Say the prospect coming to your uh, funnel down to the deal closure, say three months, you at least have to run your pay media three months, for example, even longer, right? You cannot run just one month and expect like, oh, it's not working, I'm going to quit. That's never going to work. In general, you want to get some data point and statistically significant, you have to run at least three months. I love that. What a tangible answer. That I always makes so much sense. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love it. I want to attend a Pam workshop right after this. <laughs> <laughs> My workshop is actually a lot of fun. We watch movies and eating popcorns. So, you know. Love that. So have you noticed any other trends with your clients and, and friends and colleagues 
of what is working right now in general. It could be a channel or a strategy. I love the one takeaway I already have from you is to pause and think and evaluate. So that's great across the board. Anything else you see working? Yeah. So the answer is no. I have not seen from all my clients like there's one specific channel is working. And uh, I'm not trying to depress anybody. I'm more or less just kind of tell what the reality is. Everybody is struggling right now, honestly, and uh, on the B2B side. And if you are not struggling, you know what? Respect. And everything is going very well. Perfect. You should be very proud of yourself and you should pat yourself on the back. But if you are struggling, I want to let everybody know you are not alone. You are not. Because all majority of us are struggling like with the marketing campaigns, that's going to work. So I cannot pretend to tell you what channel to work. No. What I would suggest you do specifically, and this is very important, is go back and look at your company's business model, right? So what is that business model is? And also understand possibly in 2024, what is the revenue goal? The company also know a lot of stuff they do is not working. So it's not Mm -hmm. you, it's not marketing, it's also product. It's a lot of things, okay? If you see like so many companies are laying people off, obviously something is not working. Mm -hmm. So internally, they also know something is not working. It's just not you, right? So they are also making changes. If I were you as a marketer, I would stay very close to the changes they're trying to make. Whatever changes they are making, either on the product side, on the sales side, the business model, how they're going to sell the product, stay very close to that. Then your changes needs to come to come from that, right? So I'm not giving you any answers in terms of what channel and campaigns are working. That's not what you should focus on because nothing is working. Yeah. Then you need to focus on internally what your companies are changing and then you go along with that ride, right? Once you understand that, things will come incredibly clear. Yes, very nuanced. I think that is a huge tip for all, everybody in marketing. So thank you. One You're final welcome. question before we wrap up. Sure. That was great advice for all marketers. What advice would you give yourself, Pam, just starting out in marketing, <laughs> transitioning from ops and accounting, getting into marketing? What advice would you give her? Oh my God. I was so stressed out when I made that transition because I was an ops person. Yeah. So I think everything in the technical level, you know, if you talk to any finance and accounting people, you talk to any ops people and bless their hearts. And uh, they tend to think very tactical, uh, tactically. And uh, yes. every time you talk to them, they think about how. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you are anyone like a marketer moving, try to move up or someone need to transition to a marketing This sounds very jaded, but you have to understand why. Why people do things a certain way instead of focusing on how. Whenever I talk to my clients right now, my clients will tell me a problem. And immediately, you know, that accountant and ops, Pam, will immediately say, oh, I know, you know, I I know how to fix it. I immediately focus on how, how to do things step by step in my mind. My mind is racing how, one, two, three. But... I always have to force myself to ask question, why? Why do you decide to do that? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. Right, to get that clarified first before you focus on how. That's very important to me. That's the biggest transition 
that I kind of uncovered when I moved from ops role to a, a more marketing role. Yes, I love that. Understand the why. Yes. Perfect. Thank you, Pam, so much. I want to pick your brain for days. I appreciate you spending your time here and sharing with us. So thank you for joining us. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like the episode, like, share, connect with Pam on LinkedIn and share an episode with a friend. It all all helps us. Appreciate that. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.